All right. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 53, would you please? I'm going to read the first four verses. Isaiah 53. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Let's pray. Father, again, as we look at these incredible words that were written hundreds of 600 years before Jesus was born and lived. Father, I just thank you for the incredible demonstration of that these words are your words because they were written with such exactness about what would happen hundreds of years later, the coming of the Messiah. But Father, as we read these words and listen to them again this morning, I pray that you would again impact us with the person of Jesus and who he was and what he went through on our behalf so that we could have hope. So Father, I just give this time to you that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Jason Cumley says, That Friday evening that I was in my one-bedroom apartment trying to be busy, I really knew that I was avoiding things. Nine months earlier, Jason's wife had left him. She found someone that was taller than I was, had more money than I had, so yeah. And since then, Jason had really withdrawn from life. He didn't go out. He avoided talking to people, especially women. But that Friday, he realized that this approach was taking a toll. I asked myself, afraid of what, I thought? I'm afraid of rejection. I had nowhere to go and no one to hang out with, Cumley says. And so I just broke down and started crying. He realized that he was afraid. I asked myself again, afraid of what? Afraid of rejection. So Jason Cumley came up with an idea to battle his rejection. I had to get rejected at least once every single day by someone. So he started in the parking lot of his local grocery store. He went up to a total stranger and he asked for a ride across town. Well, the stranger looked at me like and and just said, I'm not going that way, buddy. And I was like, thank you. It was like, got it. I got my rejection. Well, Jason had totally inverted the rules of life. 
he took rejection and made it something he wanted so he would feel good when he got it. And so he made rejection into a game. Have any of you heard of the rejection therapy game? You don't have to tell me if you've done it. The, it it's, it's actually a real online social self-help game where being rejected by a person or group is the sole winning condition. The player can attempt any kind of social rejection or try the suggested cards that are available for purchase online. Um, and so the game can be played at any, any length or you can undertake the 30-day challenge. So the purpose is to overcome the fear of rejection through controlled, forced exposure to rejection. As I read this, I thought, man, if only dealing with rejection was that easy. Um, rejection is painful, isn't it? I mean, whether it's not being picked on the team that you wished you were picked on, or dumped by a girlfriend or boyfriend, or by a husband or a wife, or by an employer, um, Rejection is something that every one of us in some way have, have faced, and, and rejection is what we're going to talk about this morning, particularly as we look at Isaiah 53. Um, American Apparel founder Dove Charney was ousted as CEO from American Apparel by the board of the company he founded um, following a bumpy spell. Groupon <laughs> fired its Founder and CEO, Andrew Mason, after a quarterly loss that was bigger than they thought, just, he sent a memo to his employees that said, after four and a half intense and wonderful years as CEO of Groupon, I've decided that I'd like to spend more time with my family. Just kidding, I was fired today. <laughs> uh, and he made a joke of it, but that's got to be painful. Um, you know, I was thinking about this in terms of professional athletes, which some of you are crazy about. I mean, and these these guys, for the most part, that are, you know, rejection has got to be a little easier for them because they make a lot of money being rejected. But, you know, they perform well for a team. In fact, maybe they help bring their team into a championship level of play. And then in order to meet a salary cap or to bring a younger or less injured player, bam, they're gone. Rejected. Um, they thought that they were valuable and needed by the team, and then they're sold. They're gone. Um, Emily Bronte, in the classic book, Wuthering Heights, I think graphically captures rejection in a powerful way and this is the quote she said I gave him my heart and he took and pinched it to death and flung it back to me wow that that graphically captures rejection I gave him my heart and he took and pinched it to death and flung it back to me On a real-life painful note, 
You know, when I read, um, I read pretty regular, enjoy, just because of how it challenges me, um, uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and uh, just what, what some of our brothers and sisters in, in persecuted countries are going through. And when I read about a young person who comes out to their Muslim parents in Iran or Saudi Arabia or Egypt, that they become a follower of Jesus. And, and the parents' immediate reaction is, you're no longer my, my son or daughter. Uh, I can't imagine the pain and the loss, the incredible pain to be told by a parent, get out. You're no longer my son or my daughter. Um, now, now, I want you to be honest a sec. When I started the last sentence, when I, when I said, when I read about a young person who comes out, I bet some of you thought I was talking about something different, um, that I was referring to a young person coming out that they were gay. Well, you were probably relieved that I didn't, but I'm going to. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go there because I don't know if you know, but 40%, 40% of homeless young people are homeless because they were LGBTQ young people that were kicked out by their parents because of that, rejected by their parents. Um, I want you to listen to this. It's another powerful quote from the movie The Home Stretch, and I'm going to give a little pitch for uh, Allison's Dragon, Dragonfly Theater here. This coming Thursday night, 6, 6.30, in Port Orchard, there's a free showing of the movie The Home Stretch, and it's about three homeless youth in Chicago. And I'd encourage you to go. Uh, the, um, but this is a quote from that movie. I want you to listen to it and, and, and feel, feel the pain. This is a young lady. She said, it's because of the way that I am that my mother got rid of me. Because, you know, I'm a lesbian. Isn't that a powerful got rid of me? Um, I want you to imagine with me the scenario in, in John chapter 8 where a woman is, was caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, caught in the very act of adultery and, and, and she's brought to Jesus by the religious leaders to be stoned in accordance with the law of Moses and the religious leaders, they're smirking because they think that they have Jesus. <laughs> um, they think they've got him in a corner. And then Jesus says to them, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And, you know, little by little, their smirks disappear. And they slink away. And then Jesus concludes by saying, looking at this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. No rejection, no condemnation, just incredible compassion. Uh, it's exactly what we read. We, we know John 3.16, but I don't think 
many of us know as well John 3:17, which is incredible. It says, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So now I want you to insert, maybe some of you are getting a little uncomfortable here, insert in John chapter 8, instead of a woman caught in the act of adultery, insert in there a gay person. And hear Jesus say, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. It isn't about approving, it's about loving like Jesus loved. I don't care who someone is or what they've done, we are called to love them, not to reject them. That's Jesus. Jesus is about redemption. Jesus isn't about rejection. That's Jesus, but unfortunately, too often, it hasn't been the church, right? Um, To bring it a little closer to home as we wrestle with this issue of rejection, we're coming to Isaiah 53 soon here. I I want to share, I, I understand rejection myself. I've I've experienced acutely being rejected um, as a parent. I have vivid memories that come back to me all the time of being rejected by one of my children. The pain of being yelled at, screamed at, cussed at by one of my children. Um, You're not my dad. You'll never be my dad. I don't want anything to do with you. Despising and rejecting my values, my beliefs, everything about me, just seemingly totally despising and rejecting me. I, months and months, I remember standing back in the back of the coffee oasis on a Sunday morning, one Sunday, and um, in the midst of this, the months of rejection that my wife and I were both going through, And uh, our daughter had taken off. We had no idea where she was. And uh, standing in the back and where there were all these people just worshiping God and enjoying him and, and my mind is trying to grapple with this rejection and this pain and and God put a thought in my mind that has just stuck with me and was part of the healing process for me as this thought went through mind, the pain and the blessings go together. There, in the midst of God working, there often is a lot of pain and hurt and rejection. I tell you, it was a, a horrible and painful many months. And, and actually, the reason I'm sharing it this morning with the permission of my daughter, who's not here this morning, but... Um, is because God has wonderfully worked and now we're extremely close in our relationship. But there were a lot of months where it was horrible rejection. The, you know, the whole ordeal just absolutely ripped me to pieces. And, and if you understand and been through acute rejection, you understand that it makes us struggle with us, right? It, it makes us struggle with ourselves. What was wrong with me? What did I do? What had I done? And those aren't necessarily bad questions to ask, but in the face of rejection, they can become extremely 
introspective and unhealthy, at least for me, to where the wrong that was being done to me, I took upon myself and saw that it was all me that was wrong. And I convinced myself that the wrong was me. Maybe that's where you're at this morning or, or where you've been or, or where someone else is that you know. Experiencing a rejection from a child, from a parent, from a spouse, a close friend, an employer. Uh, rejection is incredibly painful and hurtful. Um, the incredible thing as we come to Isaiah 53 this morning, is that God gets rejection. <laughs> I mean, this rejection that I've experienced, this rejection that probably most of you have experienced, some of you too, incredible ways that I haven't experienced, God gets it. <laughs> because as we come to Isaiah 53, <clears throat> Jesus, the creator of the universe, was rejected by us. In, in a way that's un, unfathomable. Just to read again Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Those are strong words despised and rejected. He was viewed with contempt and complete rejection. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, he was, it says, it was like he was used to being treated with disdain and rejection. It wasn't just a passing thing. Like one from whom people hide their faces, they didn't want anything to do with him. He was held in low esteem. They didn't regard him at all in a positive way. They considered him like nothing. They believed that he was being punished by God. <laughs> that what he was going through was his problem, his fault, his own doing. And he deserved it. God gets rejection. And what I wanted us to do this morning, just to, to get a to get a a sense of this is because I think sometimes we just think of his rejection as being the end of his life as he approached the cross and went to the cross. But from these verses and from other verses, we see that Jesus' life was a life filled with being rejected. And I want to just kind of summarize it for us briefly this morning. The first of all, if you want to turn to John chapter 7, John chapter 7 Starting at verse 1, one of the ways Jesus experienced rejection was his own family. His own family. John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers, these would be his stepbrothers, children of Joseph and Mary after he was born. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one, want, no one wants to be a 
become a public figure acts in secret and they're, they're making fun of him. They're mocking him. Since you were doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so his whole life growing up, um, experiencing the mocking and the sarcasm of his half-brothers who thought he was a fake. Go back one chapter, John chapter 6. His followers, John chapter 6, verse 58 Jesus, uh, beginning in verse 58, he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. And he's referring to himself as the one who gives life to the world. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when, but when many of his disciples heard that, they said, this is, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, they were having a hard time getting a handle on, he said, I'm like this bread that comes down from heaven that you've got to eat if you're going to have life. Verse 61, Jesus, knowing that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. These are his disciples. They turned their backs on him. The things that he was saying were too hard and, and they rejected him. Luke chapter 22, as we come towards the end of Jesus' life, in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, it says that Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the 12, his 12 closest friends. Went away, in verse 4, conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. Isn't that incredible? His family, his brothers that he grew up with, his followers, his closest, one of, one of the 12 that he, he walked with, he ate with, he, he, he poured his life into, betrayed him for 30 pieces of money. Go down farther in Luke chapter 22. Peter, the leader of the 12, as Jesus is getting ready to go to Gethsemane, says, Peter says to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And in Luke twenty-two thirty-four, 34, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Isn't that incredible pain? Rejection? And in Mark fourteen fifty, it comes to a conclusion. Mark fourteen fifty where it says they all left him and fled. All of them. <laughs> Have any of you ever experienced this, this level of rejection? I mean, we're talking absolute rejection. Family, closest friends, disciples. The 12 men who were the closest to him, all 12 of them 
abandoned him, rejected him, and fled. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, verse 39, we see the religious leaders. These are the spiritual leaders of Israel. These are the ones who would know who the Messiah was. John chapter 8, verse 39, they answer him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says to these religious leaders, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You'd be people of faith. John 8.40, Jesus says, Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. And he's referring to the devil. He's saying, you guys are obeying the devil, not God. And then they make this comment we, we can almost miss, but it's a, it's a huge slur on Jesus. In John 8.41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. <laughs> I mean, they're saying, you are illegitimate. You're an illegitimate imposter. And this is the leaders of the Jewish nation. Turn to Mark chapter 14 as we come to the end of Jesus' life. Mark fourteen fifty-five. And I know these verses are familiar, but I, I'm just hoping that as we get the, all of them put together, we see the incredible rejection that Jesus lived his life under. Mark 14:55 it says, The chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. It's one of those, call them kangaroo courts, you know. They bring him to court, and it isn't to find out what the truth is. They bring him to put him to death. That's the whole point. <laughs> They're seeking testimony, and they, they found none. Verse 56, many bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree, and they're, they're going crazy. What are we going to do? How are we going to put this guy to death? Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And he was referring to himself and his death and his resurrection. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Verse 60, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest asked to Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And it's not because he was wanting to know the truth, but he's wanting to condemn him to death. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? And they condemned him as deserving death. The leaders of the Jewish nation rejecting him as Messiah. And it all kind of culminates in John, John chapter 1, verse 1. The first verses of John chapter 1, in verse 10 and 11. It kind of summarizes it by saying, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. The creator of the universe came to his own, his creation. 
and his own people did not receive him. Absolute, total, complete rejection. So I'd like us to just ponder four questions as we think about the rejection of Jesus. The first is, what made him a target of such rejection? (laughs) To be despised and rejected, held in low esteem, considered himself to be the one that was wrong, deserving the rejection, the, the disdain, the death. What made him such a target of rejection? I think, number one, it's unmet expectations unmet expectations and Daniel talked about this last week he wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for instead he was weak he was undesirable he was common he was like us he came to be like us he came to identify with us but he wasn't anything to write home about if you remember after Jesus fed the 5,000 and the crowd was going to recruit him. They, they were, they were going to, it says literally, force him to be their king, their Messiah, because they were thinking, this is amazing. No more trips to the grocery store. And what did Jesus do? He, it says he just disappeared in the crowd. He walked right through them. Unmet expectations. He wasn't the king that they wanted him to be. I think another thing that made him a target for rejection was he was a threat. (laughs) He was a threat to the religious leaders. If you remember, Jesus told a parable of a a vineyard and a king that that planted a vineyard and he left it in the care of these keepers of the vineyard and then he left and then he wanted to receive some of the fruit from the vineyard. So he sent some servants and some were booted out, some were beat up, some were killed until finally the the owner of the vineyard, and it's a, it's a picture of God himself, says, well, surely they'll respect my son. And so he sends his son, and the, and the picture that is being portrayed is of God sending Jesus, and the keepers of the vineyard are the religious leaders of Israel, and he, he sends his son, and what do they do? They say, ah, this is the son. If we knock him off, if we kill him, it'll all be ours. And so Jesus is a target of rejection because he's a threat. He's a threat to the religious leaders and the power that has become there. And, and people are crazy about him and his miracle-working power and the things that he says that are so different. And, and he's a threat to the religious leaders. I think another thing that made him a target of rejection was jealousy. Jealousy on the part of the religious leaders. Uh, when we come to his death, literally that's what it... Pilate knew that it was because they were jealous of Jesus that they were putting him to death. Not because they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but because they were jealous of him. I think it was that same jealousy that his brothers experienced where they mocked him and made fun of him because he was, in their eyes, just this goody two-shoes that never could do anything wrong because of who he was. What made him the target of rejection? I think it's because he wasn't what he was expected to be. And I think a a lot of times that's why 
why he's rejected today, isn't it? Uh, we're looking for a deliverer that's good-looking, rich, powerful, connected, sexy, cool. We're, we're looking for our hope, our deliverance, our help in something that's all those things instead of a, a weak and rejected and, and dying deliverer. You know, one of the questions as we, as we read about the disdain and the rejection, we've got to ask ourselves, why did he put up with it? I mean, in, when Jesus was before Pilate, he said, he said, if I wanted, my kingdom is into this world, but if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels and I could obliterate all of you. I mean, he didn't say it exactly like that. But, but it's true. I mean, he could have walked this planet and constantly been impressing and amazing people with his power and his miracles. And, and he could have been just, but he didn't. And instead of enduring the taunts and the mocking of small people sneering at him and saying, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? And flinging himself off the cross and bringing, calling down lightning, he endured it. Why did he put up? Why did he, this, this horrible description in Isaiah 53, why did he put up with it? And, and there's two things. I mean, I think in, in Mark 10.45 it says, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. He came to be rejected. He came to be a redeemer. And as we go on next week in Isaiah 53, the, the very next verse says, he was pierced for our transgressions. As we're going to move from rejection to substitution to the, the, the point of why he came, that's why he put up with it. Incredible. The rejection he put up with because it's the reason he came. Not only to be our redeemer, but to be, but to be someone we could identify with. He came to identify with us in our pain and in our rejection, in our loneliness, in our abandonment. And so that when we're going through rejection, he's someone that we know understands. Just before we conclude, I want to say, how did he put up with it? Um, how did he put up with such rejection? And this is really key. If you want to turn to John chapter 13... <coughs> If you're struggling with rejection, this is so important. How did Jesus put up with a life of rejection? In John chapter 13, verse 3, starting at verse 1, it says, you know, it was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew he was about ready to die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It says the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to be betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing all this, knowing he was about ready to be betrayed, denied, abandoned by all of his closest friends, go to a painful death on the cross where he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How did he do it? Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power 
that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up and performed the most menial task that none of his disciples were willing to do. And he, he, he washed his disciples' stinky feet. How did he put up with a life of rejection? Because he knew who he was. He knew who he was and he knew why he came. So even as he was hanging on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that he was there doing what he was called to do. He knew who he was and he knew why he had come. So to conclude, what difference should it make for us that Jesus was rejected? Number one, I am understood. I am understood. If you're going through rejection and you say, nobody understands, I promise you, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. He went through incredible, I mean, just as we, as we summarize, the, in, the rejection that he went through as the creator of the universe, he didn't have to go through it. He chose to do it to experience rejection. He experienced incredible rejection. He understands. So if you're, going, if you're in the midst of rejection right now and the, feeling abandoned and, 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 and lonely, God understands. The second is, not only am I understood, but I'm saved because he was rejected. And again, we're going to look at that. It's a, he, was, he was pierced. He was rejected for our transgression. He went through, it, it, we come farther in Isaiah, it says he was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. Jesus experienced rejection from us in order that we might experience acceptance with God. Get that? incredible his rejection was for our acceptance our salvation and and finally not not just as a past thing but as a present thing that we can know not only am i understood not only am i saved but i am completely accepted as a child of god i am completely accepted by god you know as i was um experiencing for months, the re- rejection of my daughter. Um, as I was going through it and came through it, I realized that it was probably one of the best things that could ever happen to me. One of the most painful things that ever happened to me, but one of the best things that ever happened to me because it forced me to come to grips with who I was and where my confidence lay. You know, for a lot of my life, I've I've wrestled with, you know, like a lot of us, wanting the approval of others <laughs> and wanting to appear to others as in a way that they would accept me. And, and a lot of my acceptance and security and confidence was based on what others saw or what others thought. But I tell you, going through months of my daughter putting it all over Facebook, you know, it's the, the great way to communicate nowadays. Uh, putting it all over Facebook, what a horrible person I was. And then, you know, then coming back a week later and saying, Dad, it was not true, I just, I'm just, and, and then doing it again. And I had to come to, to the point to where I realized that either I was going to be absolutely in shambles 
or I was going to be confident that I am who I am in God. <laughs> I am who I am in Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks because of what's being said. I am who I am. It forced me to wrestle with my identity, how people would perceive me and think about me. What I, And as a result, would I then lash out at her and reject her? Or would I have the ability, knowing who I was in Jesus, despite the rejection, to respond with love? <clears throat> would I focus on myself, worrying about me and what others thought, and so just want to eliminate the person that was making me look bad? Or would I learn to love knowing that I was completely accepted and totally loved and able as a result to see the enemy defeated in my daughter's life and and his attempts to work havoc in my life and, and, and love my daughter and through that love see her restored and healed. And and by God's grace and completely by God's grace I learned that I was accepted and loved and so I learned to love and accept her and and the close relationship we're in today. I want to just read a quote by Henry Nouwen that captures this really well. He says, Over the years I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success Popularity and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. And my dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. You get that? That's who we are, accepted, beloved, when we're children of God. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. You know, we live in a world that is so full of brokenness, rejection, And it can leave us feeling rejected, pushed aside. I mean, like he described, nobody's worthless, unimportant, alone, no good. I think a lot of us have heard those whispers in our ears. So what is the antidote that we we learn from this morning about Jesus? It's this, that his rejection provided both for our salvation, our acceptance with God, and us knowing that we're loved. We're his. And it doesn't matter what anybody tries to do or, or seeks to do to make us, to reject us or make us feel worthless or nobodies. If we understand who we are in Jesus because of 
the rejection that he went through for us, then we're good. We're secure. We're accepted with God. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, uh, it's, it's incredible what you went through, what you didn't have to go through. <laughs> you, you had total worship, acceptance in heaven from the angels, total love with your, with your Father. And yet, in order to draw us back to you, us who are so sinful and so broken and... Uh, Jesus, I just can't even begin to understand what you were willing to go through the rejection in order to provide our acceptance. Jesus, thank you. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would just help these truths to ring true in our heads and just grab our hearts. So no matter what we're going through, we're good. Thank you. Amen.